All right. Well, good morning, everyone, now that you can hear me. I meant it, too, the last four times I said it as well. But um, So today we get to continue our series through the book of Exodus. Um, and before we do that, before we dive into the word, let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to gather here together and, and open your word um, and learn about what you've done for us, the, uh, the many countless wondrous acts you've done throughout history, um, that you would be glorified and that you show us you desire to take your people um, from a place where, we, where we've earned. We've earned the punishment, um, and you desire to take us to a new life in you, um, a new freedom in you. Um, so, Lord, I just pray that, that we would hear you speak through your word this morning um, and that you would be glorified in this time together. pray that you'd be with Pastor Landon and the family as they travel, um, keep them safe on the road, and uh, may we just glorify you with how we spend our day today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, once again, we are in the book of Exodus. Um, so if you have your Bibles and you would open to chapter 13 with me, that would be great. Um, so today we're going to talk about quite a few different things. Um, if I were to boil it down, I would say we're going to talk a lot about God today. Um, so in chapter 13, we'll talk about the consecration of the firstborn. We'll talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we'll talk about how these point to Jesus as the consecrated firstborn of the Lord, and how they point to him as the final sacrifice, sacrifice lamb who was sent. And as we sang, you know, worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy is the king who conquered the grave. As the firstborn of God, he inherits the kingdom, and his blood is worthy, his blood is sufficient to pay the debt for all of our sins. I think that's about all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. For, have a great week. <clears throat> um, <laughs> all right, let's go get lunch. Um, but so we, we're going to talk about how the Lord takes us, again, from this spot of, of uncleanness, this spot of, of sin, this bondage that we live in sin. He takes us out of that sin, out of that old life, and he brings us to a new freedom in him. Um, and again, the Lord provides that path, and that is through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. We're also going to talk about how the Lord always goes before us. He never forsakes us. He's with us every step of the way, whether we're aware of it or not. All right, so let's get into the word here. So starting in um, chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So there are a couple things to note here in this, in this brief section. Um, first, we start off, the Lord said to Moses. Very short, sweet, to the point verse, but... The Lord said, we would do well to listen whenever the Lord speaks. So this is an important thing here to be aware of. Also, I want to I fixate on the word consecrate for a moment. Um, that, that comes from the Hebrew word kadash, um, which means to be set apart, to, made to be made holy, 
to be given to God. <clears throat> this word is first used all the way back in Genesis 2, verse 3, at the end of the creation account. We read, So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so here we see, right at the beginning of time, God set the seventh day apart from the other six days. That seventh day was not like the others. And, and like here, when we read about the consecration of the firstborn in Exodus, the seventh day and the firstborn, they're both to be set apart. They're to be different. That difference is to point to God. When God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he was tired. It was to set a precedence for us. And he knew how easy it would be for us to get sucked into the trap of, of efficiency, of getting things done, of what's next. What can I do? How can I fill my time? And God says, I want you to set this day apart because I'm setting it apart. This will be different. And you're to pause, you're to focus your heart on me, you're to dedicate your heart to me. And so in that, our hearts are to be consecrated to the Lord. <clears throat> and so here, as we pick back up in Exodus 13, the fact that he uses this word for the first time since the creation account, I think that should show us how important this is to the Lord. You know, this isn't just, you know, obey this command just as your forefathers did. This is what your ancestors did, so it would be good to do it. No, this is I. This, this is something I have done. You are to do it as I do. So once again, consecrate is to, to set apart, to be separated from, and that's, that's what the Lord desires here. We see that with the firstborn of all males, um, both of man and of beast. So all the human males and all the, all the animals. So now as we move into verse 3, we're going to step away from the consecration of the firstborn for a little bit. We'll come back to it. Um, but I want us to keep that word consecrate, that idea of being set apart to the Lord in mind as we go forward. So now we're going to read about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. <clears throat> so first off, um, there's this transition here. Um, in verse 1, we read, the Lord said to Moses. And now in verse 3, then we read, Moses said to the people. Um, those of you who were here two weeks ago, um, as Wes brought us through the last couple chapters of Exodus, um, we've already read about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We know what it looks like. 
and it, it might seem repetitive. Why, why are we reading this again? But the reality is here, we need to be familiar with the context of the text. Um, in chapter 12, we read the Lord giving the, the commands for the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, but those of you who are familiar with the context, Israel was in a hurry. They were to eat the, the Passover feast ready to go with their staff in their hand, with their belt fastened, because they did have to go. Um, after the feast, and the Lord uh, instituted the 10th plague, um, Israel was driven out of Egypt, and they had to go. We read that they, they um, kind of unwittingly celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread as they didn't have time to allow the leaven to allow the bread to rise. They had to take it and go. Um, and so back in chapter 12, Moses introduces the Passover, but he does not introduce the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the people because that was not mission critical at that point. Right now it's, let's celebrate this feast, let's celebrate what this means, our salvation from our land of bondage into our new life, and then we have to go. Um, and so here we're now reading as Moses passes along the instructions from the Lord for the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the people of Israel. So that's where we pick up here. And so Moses starts by saying, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out from the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Um, and so this verse is kind of a, an outline, you know, a, a brief overview of what's the purpose of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What does it look like? How do, we, how do we partake of it? So the purpose is to remember. Remember what the Lord did for you. Um, remember how he brought you out quickly, how he brought you out by a mighty hand. It was a wondrous act of God. As I said, um, the guidelines were given for these two feasts, one after another, back to back. Um, and in many of your Bibles, they're probably under the same subheading within chapter 12. Um, and, and as I just said, they, they celebrated the Passover, and then they immediately had to leave Egypt with their unleavened bread. Um, and so, again, Moses conveyed the Passover instructions immediately, and then now, later on, the, the unleavened bread, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread instructions are coming. Um, and the Lord told people of Israel, through Moses, that if anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This, this comes up in chapter 12. Um, and so we see in chapter 12 that anyone who took the time to allow their bread to leaven, because that's, that's a time-consuming process. You, you have to wait. You know, it's, um, it's not like you can just throw it in the microwave for a couple minutes. Um, you would be cut off. I mean, you would hope that if you're sitting there waiting for your bread to get done, and you see the entire nation of Israel getting out of Dodge, leaving Egypt. Hopefully you'd wake up and follow them <laughs> and obey. Um, but, but the precedence here is that Israel left Egypt in a very quick hurry. They, they had to go. They had to get out. Um, and there's no time to wait. There's no time to delay, you know, to equivocate about, you know, oh, it's raining tonight or it's... It's just not a good time for me. It, it doesn't matter. When the Lord moves, 
you, you do well to move with him. <clears throat> so we read later in the verse, um, by a strong hand, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. That strong hand, that's the, that's the ten plagues, including the death of the firstborn. And that's the sudden exodus. It, it's not a light feat to mobilize the entire nation of Israel just like that overnight out of a, out of a nation where they've been in bondage for over 400 years. That that's a, sounds like a logistical nightmare, <laughs> but the Lord pulled it off. Not that we should be surprised. But this word, or this phrase, by a strong hand, um, that takes us back to the account of the burning bush um, in chapter 3 of Exodus. And at the burning bush, you know, the Lord tells Moses to go to Pharaoh to ask Israel to, to be allowed to leave Egypt, go out into the wilderness um, to sacrifice to the Lord. And the Lord anticipates the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh. He says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. God knew exactly what would work. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so here we see the Lord kind of giving Moses that little reminder. Hey, remember what I said to you, you know, all those years ago at the, at the burning bush. Um, remember what I said as we go back to the start of this verse the first word Moses speaks, remember. Remember what the Lord has done. Remember his promises. He always follows through. So moving on, we read, no leavened bread shall be eaten. So again, remember what it was like leaving Egypt. Remember that sudden rush to leave, how you, you didn't have time. There's, there's no time to think. There's no time to gather your, your cooking utensils. Um, you know, we, we read about the women who had to gather up their, their baking bowls on their shoulders. They just had to go, just take whatever is there. Um, so remember that. Remember how quickly the Lord moved. Um, and again, this, the, the nature of the exodus, of the leaving of Egypt, um, it forced Israel to unwittingly partake of that Feast of Unleavened Bread. They, they weren't aware of what was, what was going on, but then here as the Lord is instituting um, these instructions for the feast. It's not like a long time has passed here. They, they remember exactly what he's talking about. Um, and again, it's important to remember that leaven signifies sin throughout Scripture. Um, and leaven has a way of, it, it causes the bread to grow, to rise. And we know how sin works in our life in that way. If we, if we give it a foothold, you know, the Bible says it only takes but a little leaven to leaven the whole loaf. Just a little sin can spiral out of control. Um, so that's why here as we read, it's important that God, God designates you're to remove leaven from your house and you're to remove it completely. It's not to be in your bread and it's not to be anywhere near you. Remove it from your territory, he says. So I, I just want us to be mindful of that, um, that parallel there moving forward here. So moving on to verse 4. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. So Abib is the first month in the Hebrew calendar. It's, it kind of overlaps with our months of March and April. Um, 
Back in chapter 12, the Lord says to Moses, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. You know, and, and new years represent, you know, new births, you know, new, we always say new year, new me. You know, we come up with all these resolutions of how we're going to change our lives in the new year. Um, they don't often stick with us. But when the Lord creates something new, it, it sticks. It doesn't go away. That's, so this, this is a new thing. This represents the, the new birth of Israel from their bondage to their freedom. And so here we see the Lord taking them from that bondage to their freedom. <clears throat> um, also, the fact that the new year starts here at the Passover and at the exodus of Egypt, all dates throughout the Hebrew calendar point back to that. And today is June 26th, and so we know it's June is the sixth month, and it's the 26th day of the month, so it's been six and a half months since the year started. Um, and even, even our years themselves point back to Christ. You know, we're in the year A.D. 2022. And then everything before the year one is B.C., before Christ. Um, and so even if we change the labels of how we designate which year it is, the years themselves still point back to Christ. Um, so the Lord has a way of making himself known to us and making himself visible to us that even if we try to hide from it, we can try to run from it, it's there. Um, he's there. And so again, this new year, it's literally the new year. This is the first, first month. This month did not exist before the Lord created it here. Um, this will always represent new beginnings at the time of Passover. It represents a salvation from the old into the new. Um, and so let's move on to verse 5 here. We read, And when the Lord brings you into the land, again, as we've said, when God, when God makes a promise, he means it. When he uses the word when, you can take that to the bank. Um, not that we encourage gambling in the church, but that would be a pretty safe bet. Um, so when the Lord brings you to the land... And this marks a, a slight shift in, in the language that Moses is using here. Um, in the first few verses of the chapter, we've read about being brought out, being brought out from your land of bondage in Egypt, being, being brought out. The Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. And now we shift to when the Lord brings you into. So this, this represents that exodus from the old life, from the old life of bondage, the old life of sin, into the new that new life of freedom in Christ, and that new life of freedom as Israel heads to the promised land. It's important to, to, uh, to notice here that the word bring, the Lord brought you, that, that doesn't seem to indicate that Israel had a whole lot to do with the thing. You, know, you don't bring yourself. You know, here in the, the Midwest, a lot of times you, know, you ask, hey, can I bring anything when I come over? And it's, oh, just bring yourself. But that's about the only time that works. <laughs> um, when God brings people, he, he does that according to his will. And he does that by a mighty hand here, as we've read. Once again, when the Lord brings you into the land, he lays out this group of, of uh, 
this group of groups, you know, the Canaanites down to the Jebusites. That once again refers back to the burning bush where the Lord promised to Moses that he would take the people into that land. But it goes back even farther, back to Genesis, back to Abraham, and back to when he was known as Abram. Um, so in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had already called out Abram from the land he lived in. Abram was on his way, faithfully traveling to that new land the Lord called him to. Excuse me. He had already, the Lord had already promised that Abram would be made into a great nation. Um, and at the time, so I'm, I'm referring to Genesis 12, 7 here specifically. At this time, Abram was in the land of Canaan. Um, and the Lord said to Abram, to your offspring, I will give this land. This land where you're standing, this will be yours one day. And then a couple chapters later in uh, Genesis 15, we have the covenant that the Lord makes with Abraham, which again, that covenant, that means something. There's no going back on that. That's another really safe bet. Um, the Lord declares to Abram which land he will give him. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So if you notice, this list is, is a little bit longer than the list we, we read in chapter 13 here. And the list that the Lord gives to Moses at the burning bush is kind of right in the middle. By my count, I'm, I'm uh, reading out of the ESV here, we have 10 groups listed in Genesis six at the burning bush, and then five here in, here in Exodus um, 13. And so you see there are, there are less groups listed each time. And so this implies that the Lord is already preparing the land. You know, when he promised it to Abram back in Genesis 15, there were these 10 nations. Now at the burning bush, now there are six. Some translations have seven listed. Either way, both of those numbers are less than 10. So so, so the threat is lessening. Um, the Lord goes before Abram. He goes before Moses and Israel, and he prepares that land. Um, another interesting point to point out here in Genesis 15, um, as the Lord describes the land to Abram, his description starts from an origin in Egypt. He says, from, from the river of Egypt. And then he describes you know, the rest of the borders and the, the uh, boundaries of that land. But already right there, he's, he's implying your people will be coming from Egypt. Um, again, another promise of the Lord. <clears throat> and briefly here, I just want to touch on two people groups in, this, in these lists. They, they both appear in all of these lists. First off, the Canaanites. Um, the, the name Canaan is commonly used to refer to the promised land throughout the Old Testament. Um, there were all these people groups in the land, but Canaan seems to kind of envelop them all, and, and that's, that's how the Lord refers to the promised land throughout um, the Old Testament. And even later in chapter 13, he just says the, the land of the Canaanites. And also there are the Jebusites. Um, 
At this time, their capital city was known as Jebus, Jebusites. That city later became known as Jerusalem. And so I find it fascinating that the Jebusites are the last group listed in each of these lists. And so that shows exactly where God is taking the people. He knew from the dawn of creation, you know, where he would take the people to, you know, and where, as we'll talk about sacrifice lambs later on, where he would send his sacrifice lamb, he would send his firstborn um, and the heir to his throne. Um, so I, I just think these, these, little, these little nuggets of truth throughout the text here, they're not little at all, um, but it's just very easy to, to gloss over them. But they, they really just show the glory and the majesty of our Lord and, and how he is truly Lord over all of creation. <clears throat> so moving forward here, we read again, this land which he swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord refers back to his covenant with Abram, and he refers to that promise that he made. I haven't forgotten you. I know where I'm taking you. He says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so in the promised lands, in the promised land, their needs would be provided for abundantly. Um, and this is an apt reminder from the Lord among many of his other fulfilled promises. Um, as we know, later on in the book of Exodus, not to spoil it for any of you, but Israel wants to come back to Egypt at certain points. They have this freedom from 400 years of bondage, but they decide that's too much. We have to trust in the Lord. We don't like this. We want to go back to where we knew what was coming. We knew our food would be provided, but we were in bondage. But that's what they wanted. And so here God's saying, he, he's giving these promises of the future, and he's alluding back to the promises from centuries before to the forefathers of this people. He's saying, I fulfilled what I promised to Abram, and I'm still making promises. I'm still in that business. What makes you think that I would stop? What makes you think that what I say now would not go into effect someday? And we would all do well to remember the promises of the Lord because we can get on the Israelites, but they look a lot like we do. <clears throat> so, land flowing with milk and honey. When the Lord brings you into that land, you shall keep this service in this month. And so here we see the Lord designated a, a, a period of days for this service, this Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, God set these days apart. And we talked about the word consecrate before. You could say he consecrated this period of days for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, back in chapter 12, we read exactly which days. In the first month, which we've talked about is the month of Abib, um, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. And the Hebrew day starts at the evening. So it's from the start of the 14th day to the start of the uh, 21st day. Um, and just thinking because you know, I'm a human and I know how easily I try to take things into, into my own hands from the Lord. Um, you can imagine people taking this, this imperative where God sets aside this seven-day period. It's one week out of the entire year. You're to eat unleavened bread. But how often do we say, well, God says to eat unleavened bread for that week. 
it'd probably be good to keep eating it. You know, if, he's, if it's good enough for God in that week, why, why would it not be good in the future? You know, and as we talked about, the Bible says leaven represents sin. So it's good to stay away from sin, right? But this, this raises an important point. It's important that we honor God's word as he gives it. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. If, lo- if the Lord wanted us to eat nothing but unleavened bread, I believe he would have said, you are to eat nothing but unleavened bread. He doesn't confuse us. He's not a God of confusion. <clears throat> All right. So now let's get into the kind of the what and the why of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, so we'll be kind of going through verses 6 through 10 here. So we've talked about the flyover view. This is where the Feast of Unleavened Bread comes from. And so now we're going to talk a little bit more in the nitty-gritty of what is this? Why do we have to do this? So verses 6 and 7 kind of speak to the what of the feast. What is it? So we read, You're to eat unleavened bread for seven days, and there's to be a celebration or a feast to the Lord on the seventh day. No unleavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. Again, do not have anything to do with leaven in that period. You can't, you can't say, well, you know, what about just a little bit? Like, I'm getting tired of this flat, unleavened bread. That doesn't matter. It's a week, and it's a week that's to be set apart to the Lord. <clears throat> we read in, in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, um, the, the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread is revisited there, um, and we get a little bit more clarity. Um, that adds that there's to be a holy convocation, which is that celebration or feast, on the first and the seventh days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It adds you shall not do any ordinary work. And it adds that you're to, prevent, you're to, present, you're to present a food offering to the Lord. And see, so the idea of, of stepping away from your ordinary work, this reminds the people of how when they left Egypt, the Lord did the work in bringing them out. And so they're not to do work. And so now, moving forward, let's get into the purpose of the feast. Why do we have to do this? <clears throat> First off, in verse 8, Moses says, Tell your son on that day. is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So this provides a teaching opportunity from a father to a son, from, from one generation to the next. You're to teach what the Lord has done throughout the generations. And you're to pass down messages of his power and his desire to give new life. Um, And many of us know teaching something can be one of the best ways to learn it. I've had an incredible opportunity to get very familiar with this specific chapter of the Bible um, over these these past few weeks of preparation. Um, And I have received a ton of... Of, of just clarity and understanding about what the Lord is, what his nature is here. And that, I don't say that to, to, to say like, oh, you know, look at me. But it's just with, with anything, whether it's a sport, whether it's God's word, if you can teach it, you know it. You know it really well. Um, and so the Lord commands this, um, this feast to be taught, these, these remembrances to be taught as that, one, it passes that on to a new generation, and two, it forces the previous generation to make sure they know it. 
um, and that forces transparency. You know, because if you, if you were to do but not teach, if you were to partake of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but you don't explain it to your son, you don't tell him why, it's just kind of a, a dead, meaningless ritual. It's just, that's what we've always done, you know. Um, it, it loses its meaning. And then if you teach, but you don't do. You know, if, you, if you're telling your son, hey, you got you to celebrate that Feast of Unleavened Bread every year, but that, that's more for you. I don't really do that. Well, then you're a hypocrite. You're living in hypocrisy, and, and that message to your son loses any meaning. You know, why, why would I do that if you're not doing that? You're, you know, you're my dad. You're this example to me. Um, this reminds me of, of when I was a kid. Um, I, was, I was very confused about why we did communion and why we did it the way we did. Why do we you know, eat a little cracker and drink a little cup of juice? Um, I was thinking about it. I knew it had to do with Jesus. And then one day I figured it out. I, I got it. And so I, I went to my dad and I said, hey, I've, I figured this out. I know how communion works. You know, we eat the cracker because we're told to. And then we drink the juice because the cracker's really dry and it gets stuck in your throat. So you wash it down with the juice. Um, my dad smiled a little bit and probably held in a chuckle. Um, and then he explained, no, we, we do we communion. We partake of communion because we're to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. And so he partook of communion, my dad, and he taught me how to partake of communion and what it means. It's not just this thing you do because they're passing out this tray of, of crackers and juice at church. This is something you do because it has meaning. It holds weight. It reminds us of what the Lord has done for us. Um, so again, in order to teach these things, you have to know it. Um, oh, that's my spot there. <clears throat> um, yes, you have to teach, and, and that forces you to know. And it has to be familiar with you. You can't know something without being familiar with it, without interacting with it regularly, consistently. And so that, that message is extended here in, in verse 9, um, where Moses says this is to be a, like a sign on your hand and a, a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who, among other things, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Day and night, that's all the time. And meditating, that's, that's not something you do quickly. You have to sit on it. You have to chew on it. You have to take it in. You have to interact with it. You have to have a relationship with the law of the Lord. You know, we read here, it's to be as a sign on your hand. You look at your hands every day. You know, there's the saying, I know this place like the back of my hand. What, what do you know better than the back of your own hand? Um, and it's to be as a memorial between your eyes. If there's something between your eyes, if you have something on your nose, no matter where you look, you can't get away from it. You know, you can, I can look over there and try to look away, but then this eye is looking at my nose. You know, same thing for the other direction. There's, there's no escaping it. You can't get away from it. Um, and so what does that say about how, how the Lord views this and how the Lord created this for us. 
we're not to get away from it. We're to be familiar. We're to know what he has done. And then the last part um, of this sentence here, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. If there's something that you're, that you're looking at, um, if there's something that you see on your hand that's in front of your eyes, it's constantly with you. It doesn't go away. You're probably going to talk to somebody about it. You know, you, you, might, you might just pass it down to your son. You might just tell your friends, your coworkers about it. Even when you're alone, you might be thinking and talking about it and meditating on the Lord's word. <clears throat> Again, here in, in verse 9, moving forward, we have another reminder. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. It, it's almost like God wants them to remember this. Remember what I did. So let's move on to verse 10 here. Again, we have another reminder that you're to keep this feast at its appointed time. As we talked about before, you can overdo it all you want, but that doesn't make you any holier. It doesn't make your heart any more consecrated to the Lord. And in fact, it distorts the meaning of the, of the feast to begin with. You're, you're taking your own desires and adding them onto what the Lord has created. Um, and frankly, you're, you're in danger of turning it into idolatry. You're taking this thing the Lord has created that you can remember him by, and you forget about the Lord, and you focus on, on the thing. That's idolatry by definition, right there. And the Lord does not like idolatry. Um, so again, this Feast of Unleavened Bread, this is to be a reminder of what the Lord has done. It's to be a reminder within his will for it, within the days he set apart from it. So now we'll move forward and we'll, we'll get back to um, the consecration of the firstborn. We talked about that briefly uh, at the start of the passage. This is another tradition that the Lord provides, again, as a reminder for what he has done. Whereas the Feast of Unleavened Bread is to remind of how he, brought out of how he brought Israel out of Egypt, the consecration of the firstborn will remind us of how he provided. He provided for the firstborn of Israel in um, the, the tenth plague during the Exodus and during the Passover. So first of all, why, why firstborn? And why does God not say, all your children are to be consecrated to me. All your animals are to be consecrated to me. Well, first off, we, we read about Jesus being the firstborn of God. Um, and also there, there are some practical senses of why we need to be focused on the firstborn. The, the, the reality of a firstborn son, especially at this time back in the Old Testament, that firstborn son represented the future of the family. You know, any family without a firstborn son had no heir. We read that of, of Abraham's account in Genesis. Um, and we read how he tried to take matters into his own hands, and we see how that ended up. Um, the firstborn son serves, serves kind of two major roles. Um, one is where they are blessed. They're, they're the heir to the family. They receive the greatest portion of the inheritance. Um, and they, they bring that future and that, that legacy to their family. 
Um, then there's also a responsibility with being a firstborn. They're to be the leaders of the family. There's, there's reason to believe that at least for a time, the firstborn sons served as the priest within their family um, until the Levites were installed as the priest of Israel. Um, and they, they're to take on the leadership of that family as their own father ages. And then as he passes on, they become the patriarch. And that's, that's a story, you can read it, you know, in live color. In Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's, that's what's, what's in effect here. Um, and so again, as I said, Jesus is a firstborn. Um, we read in Luke chapter 1, the angel um, speaks these words to Mary, talking about her son to come. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So Jesus, the Son of God, was to be king, which is a blessing and a responsibility. He inherits that throne from his father, the Lord. Um, and it's the, the earthly throne from his father, David, which is yet to come as well. Um, so again, this is, this is a, a, a blessing that Jesus gets. He gets the glory of, of being king, but he also gets the responsibilities that come with that. And he himself had the dual responsibility of being king and of being a sacrifice lamb. And we're going to get into the lambs here now. Um, so again, in, in verse 11... We get a reminder when the Lord brings you into the Lamb. As, we, as we've seen, he repeats several reminders throughout this text. When I bring you into the land, I brought you out with a strong hand. Remember these things. Remember how the Lord works. Um, all right, so then in verse 12, we read, You're to set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord which is almost a direct quote of verse 2, um, where we read that not only the firstborn of the animals, but also the firstborn of your humans, your sons, are to be set apart to the Lord. And the language used here, excuse me, all that first opens the womb, this is language that refers to the mother. You know, commonly, when we think of the firstborn, we think you know, the heir to the family, we think the firstborn of the father. You know, I am my dad's firstborn. Um, but here, it's interesting to, to note that the Lord uses the words, all that first open the womb. Um, we know that there are prophecies about Jesus who at this time was to come. Um, throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies that he will be born of a virgin. He will be born of a woman. And Jesus did not have that biological relation to his earthly father, Joseph. He had that relation to his mother, Mary. Um, and this, this also, this designation of the language referring to the mother here, this also shows the Lord's desire for the entirety of his people. Um, for us as humans, the Lord sets up this precedent that we are to be married one man to one woman. And that's it. 
with animals, they, they don't play by those same rules. You can have, you know, for any, any bull in your herd of cattle, you could be with who knows how many cows. Um, I have a friend who, who works on his family's ranch in Montana and I asked him about this, and he said they'll usually have about 20 cows for each bull. Um, you know, and so that could be 20 calves. That could be, you know, take, take the one bull and multiply it by that. Um, and so this is where it's important to designate the, the reference to the uh, father versus the mother. Because if you're to sacrifice or to consecrate the, um, the firstborn of the father, if you have five bulls in your herd, you have to sacrifice five firstborn male calves. You know, but if you have five bulls and every one of those bulls is with 20 cows, all of a sudden that's 100 calves that are to be consecrated to the Lord. You know, with cattle, they're, they're considered a clean animal, and so they can be sacrificed. And so that's, that's 100 head of cattle given to the Lord, sacrificed, um, and they're, they're gone. They're not coming back. Um, Moving on into verse 13, it says, Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. So why, why are donkeys singled out here? You know, why, previously the Lord said, All of your animals, all the firstborn that opens, the, or, yeah, all, all to first open the womb. Um, the difference with donkeys, donkeys are unclean animals. They were not to be sacrificed. And uh, throughout the Old Testament, we, we get the understanding that to be unclean, to exist as an unclean animal, or us you know, as, as unclean, sinful people, um, there's, there's nothing sinful about being ritually unclean under the law. Um, but to go before the Lord in that unclean state is, is sinful, and it's not only sinful, it's a death sentence. And so this is why the, the donkeys are to be redeemed. Um, later in the book of Exodus, we'll read the, the uh, precedence for how they're to go before the Lord. Um, we read that with newborn animals, they're to, with the firstborn at least, they're to be with their mother for seven days, and then on the eighth day, they're to be either um, consecrated to the Lord by a sacrifice, you know, if it's a sheep or a um, cow or goat, one of the clean animals, they're to be sacrificed. But here, if there's a donkey or any other unclean animal, they're to be redeemed. Or if they will not be redeemed, they're to be killed. So this establishes that the Lord, in sparing the firstborn of Israel, in the 10th plague, he didn't just say, all right, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you guys. Um, I'm going to leave you alone. You go do whatever you want. You go have your fun. He says, no, I spared you, and you are mine now. You belong to me. Um, and so that's why for any, for any people of the nation of Israel who had an unclean animal that weren't willing to redeem it or to sacrifice it, it's better for that firstborn to be killed. Um, and so we read here that um, 
you know, all firstborn must appear before the Lord, and for an unclean animal to appear in the presence of the Lord again is a death sentence. But in verse 13 here, we read that there is a way to be redeemed. And what is that way? It's the blood of a lamb, an innocent, spotless lamb. Um, in Hebrews chapter 9, we read that indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no being made clean. <clears throat> and so here, the blood of the lamb, you know, with, with, your, with your donkeys, a, a lamb, an animal, another sinless, spotless, pure animal can give its life and shed its blood that your, your donkey can be redeemed. And your donkey can go before the Lord and be consecrated to the Lord and not just survive, but be given a new life in Christ. And it's not a stretch to say that applies to us because as, us as humans, because the end of the verse, every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And so that, that innocent, spotless lamb can give its, its life for your human sons. For each one of us. <clears throat> and we know that the Lord, later on, he sent one final, innocent, spotless lamb to sacrifice his life one time for every one of us. That blood of the lamb is sufficient. As we sang this morning, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. The thing about all of those lambs that were sacrificed for the unclean animals and for the firstborn sons back in the Old Testament, when they were sacrificed, they did not come back. That was it. They gave their lives and that was done. They, they were done. That's the end of the road for them. We have a sacrificed lamb who died on each of our behalf. And he came back and he conquered the grave because he's not just a sacrificed lamb. He is the king as the firstborn of God. He is the heir and the inheritance, or he gets the inheritance to the throne of God. And he gave his life to redeem us. You know, so, so why, why would a, you know, an Israelite farmer sacrifice a lamb to buy back a donkey. A donkey would be desirable. They, they can work. You know, they, it's not something you just want to get rid of. It's, it's an animal that's worth having around. Um, and so the, the, uh, the Israelite farmer, he can, he can stop and he can think, I want that donkey. I want that donkey to be among my flock, among my herd. And I'm going to send a lamb to, to pay the price for that donkey's life. And that's how the Lord sees us. He desires fellowship with us. Not just so we can go work on his farm, but so we can spend eternity with him. And he sent, he sent a sacrifice lamb that happened to be his firstborn, his onlyborn. Read that in John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. 
And whoever believes will never die, but have eternal life. All we have to do is believe. That lamb has already been sent. We're not waiting for the lamb to be sent. We're not waiting for that sacrifice. It has already happened. That's good stuff. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to skip ahead a little bit here. So um, we're going to skip all the way to the next verse. Um, so again, there's another reminder to teach your son. As before with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there's a message in the consecration of the firstborn. They're to be set apart to the Lord. And now we, we get the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight we know what it looked like when the lamb came. The lamb that was to come has already come. Um, and we know that the Lord did not hold back. He, was not, he, he did not have a white-knuckled grip on his own son. He sent his own son to be our sacrifice lamb. He gave freely of his own son to redeem us. And the reality is, you know, who among these Israelites and who among us today has anything that would not be better off if we loosened our grip a little bit, if we weren't hanging on tight. We, we loosen our grip and we give it up to the Lord. What could possibly be better off in our life if we, if we squeeze onto it tight and we say, God, I know you provide for Israel. I know you provide for all these people around me. I know you've provided for me even. But with this one little thing, I, I think I know better how to handle it. But that, that's what we're telling him if we're not willing to give it up to him, if we're not willing to trust him with our future. Because again, as, as we talked, the firstborn son of, of an Israelite family, that represented their future. That represented their legacy. And all God is saying is, give your future into my hands. Give him to me. He's mine already. <clears throat> And so now in, in verse 15, we have this reminder once again of how when the Lord went through Egypt, um, he spared the firstborn of Israel, um, both human and animals. And again, as, as Wes preached about a couple weeks ago, the only way that happens is if Israel is bathed in the blood of the Lamb. If, if you and I are washed in the blood of the Lamb, that's the only way we can go before the Lord and be spared. To be in the presence of the Lord in sin and in an unclean state, again, is a death sentence. Um, but the Lord provides. He provided the Lamb, who knows how many lambs over the years, but then he provided the Lamb. And that Lamb's blood is sufficient for each of us. Um, so let's, uh, let's skip ahead here a little bit. We, finishing up this section um, through verse 16, we get the reminder to teach your son again. We, uh, we get the reminder of what it means, how God provided his firstborn, so I give my firstborn to him. And then we get another reminder that it's to be a reminder. In verse 16, it shall be a mark on your head, or as a mark on your hand, and uh, frontlets between your eyes. Once again, it's to always be with you. Remember this. Don't let go of it. Don't forget about it. 
for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt once again. So uh, we're in the last section, we're on the home stretch here. Um, in verse 17, there's kind of a shift. Throughout, throughout the chapter so far, we've been reading everything that the Lord did, the Lord brought, you know, the, the Lord will bring. But here for the first time in this chapter, we read God did not lead them by way of the land of Philistines. Actually, let's, let's just read this section here real quick. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So again, as I was saying, there's kind of this shift. We, we go from God did this, God will do this, to all of a sudden God did not do this. Um, why not? Why did God not lead them by the way of the Philistines? As the crow flies, that was the most direct route. Um, God answers that question here at the end of verse 17. Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. The Lord had just brought them into freedom. He had just brought them out of their bondage into freedom. There's a lot more responsibility with that now. Not everything's not easy. Not everything might be provided for. You have to rely on the Lord. You have to trust in him. And as we know, in the next chapter, um, at the Red Sea, Israel is already saying, you brought us out here to die. It would have been better if you just left us in Egypt. Why couldn't we not be there? Our needs were provided for we knew where our next meal was coming from. We were safe, relatively speaking. Um, but God, God knows that's going to happen. And so he chooses to take them a much longer route. Um, just for, for a quick perspective here, if you were to take them directly from where they were in Egypt to the land of Canaan, to the promised land, if you were to take a straight route, it would be approximately the same as, as walking from the Twin Cities to the Fox Valley. Um, still a long way. It's not a walk I would want to make, but um, it's not all that far. But the way God takes them out of Egypt and then south through the, through the Sinai Peninsula and then back up into Canaan, um, that would be about if you were leaving Minneapolis, if you are leaving the Twin Cities, and then you decided to go down into Iowa and watch a watch a Hawkeyes game in Iowa City, and then come back up to the Fox Valley. That's an incredible detour. Um, doesn't matter how bad the road construction gets here in Wisconsin, that, that's too long. And so that's, this is not just a detour. It's not just, well, it might be kind of hard if I take them that way, so we'll just go this way because it's better. No, this, I mean, this is such a detour that God is clearly trying to teach the people a lesson. This is important to him. This, this stuff matters. 
Um, and also there's the reality that Israel is a new nation. You know, they, they are a nation. They are a huge group of people. Um, but they have not had their own land yet. They're, they're nomads. They're going from Egypt to a land that's already filled with people. You know, there's not a nice warm bed and, you know, Motel 6 leaving the light on for them, waiting for them. It's, um, they have to make their way there. They'll have to fight their way into this land. And frankly, the Lord decides they're not ready for that yet. Um, and so the Lord takes them. He takes them out of Egypt. He takes them out of the most efficient path, the most direct path to where they're headed. And he consecrates them to himself. And he decides, or he, and he says, he, he, he doesn't say this, he takes them away from their, uh, their bondage, away from their slavery, and he takes them to himself. You know, they're, they're to just be with him throughout the desert. There's nothing else out there. Um, and here we read, um, let's see, where is it? Later in verse 20, they go to Etham. We're not really sure where that is exactly, but here it says it's on the edge of the wilderness. So that kind of symbolizes, like, all right, you are leaving the old life. You're moving on. This, this is the end of this, and you're to move on to what's next. Um, <clears throat> one last reminder. We close with one last reminder. The bones of Joseph. It, it seems kind of out of place and random here, but this refers all the way back to Genesis 50. Joseph had, had been taken out of his homeland. Um, he had been taken to Egypt. But he knew the promise that the Lord had made to his forefathers, to his ancestors. He knew the covenant that was made to his, uh, his ancestor Abraham. And he knew that the Lord would bring them into the land, and he knew what land that would be. And so his last, final dying wish he says, I, I want you to bring my bones with you when you go into the land. He knew he wouldn't get to see it. It wouldn't happen in his lifetime. But he knew that since the Lord had said it would happen, that it would happen. Um, and so as we close here, there's one final reminder of how the Lord takes us forward. We've talked about the reminders of what the Lord has brought us out from, what the Lord has done. But here we read in, in verses 21 and 22, the Lord goes forth in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, the cloud by day, the fire by night. He did not depart from the people of Israel. The Lord guided them every step of the way. He took them out of what they knew, out of their bondage, out of their uncleanness, and he brought them into this, this new land, this new freedom. Um, and he knew it would be a lot for them. He knew it would be a lot to take. Um, but he set these visible reminders up for the people that they would know that wherever they went, wherever, wherever he was, well, they knew that wherever they went is where he was because he was leading them, um, and he did not depart from them. Um, so as I wrap up here, can I get a, a few guys to pass out the communion elements, please? Um, so wrapping up, we're reminded throughout this passage 
that we're to have a loose grip on the things, thanks Steve, on the things that matter to us. The things that are important to us benefit by being given to the Lord. Um, we're to freely give to the Lord, holding nothing back, and we're to freely give from the best of what we have. We're to give the first. We're not to hang on and say, God, I'll, I'll get to you. We're to give him the first of what we have as he did that for us. And we're to be willing to set aside the best of what we have unto the Lord, and we're not to give him anything less. We're to remember what he has done in bringing us out of our bondage and out of our sin and what he's brought us to. And then we're to remember that he always goes before us, preparing our path, and he will never leave or forsake you. And so here as we have the, uh, the elements of communion, the, uh, the body and the blood, um, let us think of that final sacrifice lamb that the Lord provided, his own son, his own firstborn son, who was set apart from all other men. The Lord sent him that we might be united with the Lord. And so as we take of the body, let's think of the life and of the body that Jesus himself gave for us to bear the punishment due to us. And now as we, as we take of the blood, let's think of the innocent blood that Christ shed to make us spotless, just as he is himself. All right. I want to thank you all for coming and joining us today. Um, hope you have a wonderful week as we go forward again. Remember, we're to freely give back to the Lord as he freely gave to us. Thank you.